Hi, welcome to the End Times from Chipperish Media. I'm Southern Fried Scholar and Angel with a Flaming Sword, Dr. Kelly Jones. Hey, where is your flaming sword anyway? I uh, I gave it away. You you what? I gave it away. There are vicious animals out there and it's going to get cold. Soft touch. Anyway, I'm story expert and demon gone native, Lonnie Diane Rich. And we're here today to talk about In the Beginning, Good Omens Season 1, Episode 1. Bugger this for a lark. It's time to stop Armageddon. In In the Beginning, we open with a brief history of the universe, setting the beginning of the universe at Sunday, the 21st of October, 4004 BC at 9.13 a.m. That seems about right. We also find out that God does not play dice with the universe and that the narrative voice is God, who is, by the sound of it, an American woman in her 60s. That also sounds about right. We go back in time to the Garden of Eden, not long after a snake demon named Crowley tempted Eve with the apple of knowledge. Adam and Eve are kicked out of paradise and Crowley and the angel Aziraphale watch as the couple goes out into the world carrying the flaming sword that Aziraphale gave them. The angel and demon wonder about the nature of good and evil, and when it starts to rain, Aziraphale puts his wing over Crawley to protect him. Fast forward to 11 years ago, and two demons named Haster and Liger deliver a baby to Crawley, now Crowley, whose job is to take it to a bunch of satanic nuns and switch it with a baby belonging to an American diplomat who has been specifically chosen to raise the Antichrist. But another more normal couple is also there, also having a baby, and in the confusion, the babies get mixed up. A regular baby goes off with the American diplomat, the Antichrist goes home with the normal couple, and the third baby, well, we won't worry about that for now. Crowley calls Aziraphale and tries to convince him to work together to stop Armageddon. Aziraphale refuses to muck with God's ineffable plan, so Crowley wines and dines him, explaining that when the world ends, that's it for wine and books and food and all the things Aziraphale loves. Meanwhile, once the babies are out of the convent, Haster comes in and burns it down. Crowley and Aziraphale sober up, and Crowley continues to work on Aziraphale. He wouldn't be thwarting God's plan, Crowley says. He'd be thwarting Satan's plan. Aziraphale admits Crowley kind of has a point there. Crowley says it really comes down to how the Antichrist is raised. If there was a force for good influencing the child, heaven couldn't complain about that. Crowley and Aziraphale head to Warlock's house, where they are hired as the nanny and the gardener, respectively. While Crowley tries to teach Warlock the ways of evil, Aziraphale influences him with goodness. On his 11th birthday, they show up for his party to see if the Hellham also shows up. Once the Antichrist has named the dog, it's all over. But the dog doesn't show up. Well, the dog does. He finds the actual Antichrist, a young boy in Tadfield named Adam Young, playing with his friends in the woods. Adam imagines the perfect dog, small, friendly, playful, and named Dog. As soon as he is named, the snarling, drooling hellhound becomes a scrappy terrier and finds his master. Miles away in Aziraphale's bookstore, Crowley senses that the dog has found his master and Aziraphale sighs and says, Welcome to the end times. In the Beginning was written by Neil Gaiman and directed by Douglas McKinnon. And I was so excited about this because McKinnon also directed the Abominable Bride episode of the BBC Sherlock, which I love, and many episodes of Doctor Who, including the Husbands of River Song. So, yay, yay, yay. <laughs> yeah. 
All right. So, Dr. Kelly Jones, here we are, the first episode of the TV series. We have been awaiting this for so long. What'd you think? What's your overall impression of it? I am so ridiculously in love. I can't even tell you. (laughs) It is love at first sight. It is true love. Nothing can defeat us, separate us. I... (laughs) love and adore everything about this and I am thrilled how about you so fun oh it's so fun I mean David Tennant is Crowley and I keep having to correct myself because the whole time in the book I kept thinking of him as Crowley Crowley I can't they call him Crowley Crowley. here I'm like I can't say Crowley I can't say it weird but I don't want to say Crowley because I feel like I've been corrected by the TV show and Neil Gaiman is involved he ought to know yeah but I'm gonna keep saying it wrong and (laughs) y'all No, that's all right. Crowley, Crowley, yeah. Crowley, it is certainly Crowley. not the end of the world, right? Yeah. I <laughs> get, get what I did there? Because end oh, of the world. Oh, my God. Anyway, um, yeah, no, I thought it was really delightful. I love Michael Sheen. I mm-hmm. love uh, David Tennant. They are so delightful as Aziraphale and Crowley, and I just have such a good time with them that, honestly, like, you know, I'm trying to think of it in terms of narrative and storytelling, all this kind of, but I'm just so delighted through Mm -hmm. most of it just every interaction they have makes me so happy so let's go ahead and get started with like the first kind of big adaptive choice which i think is really interesting um god is francis mcdormand which (laughs) i actually want to live in that universe right god is francis mcdormand like where god is francis mcdormand right she's so great and Mm -hmm. hearing her speak makes me want to rewatch wonder boys But I I love that shift because at first I just thought it was the omniscient narrator. Right. Well, because we have that omniscient voice. That's, you know, how the uh, how the book is written. And uh, Pratchett, uh, at least in everything that I've read from him, writes in an omniscient voice, Mm -hmm. you know, which is always kind of interesting. You know, it's not it's not a voice that is, uh, I would say, in fashion at this point, few writers write with that. Mm-hmm. Um, so it was really interesting because this was actually one of the questions that I had while reading the book and I kind of let it go and I never wrote it down when I had the thought, you know, uh-huh. about like, is this omniscient voice the actual voice of God? Yeah. You know, and is God something different from what these, from, from what Aziraphale thinks it is and from what uh, Crowley thinks it is that each of these two sides, like neither one of them are really connected with God. I don't know. I mean, yeah. it, philosophically, there are a lot of questions that kind of come up in Good Omens. And Good Omens is interested in answering, like, none of them. Nothing. So, so it's, you know, it's fine. But it's kind of interesting that here we've got, you know, we've got this kind of development of the omniscient voice as um, kind of an active character in this. Because it's really all about the ineffable plan, right? Yeah. Which is God's ineffable plan. And Francis McDormand says, I. Yeah. I, and it was such a, sh- a subtle shift, right? When you're mm-hmm. listening to the opening of the show, it was pretty much word for word with the mm-hmm. opening of the book. But then she said, mm-hmm. I play an ineffable game of my own devising. And I was right. like, oh. So we have absolute <laughs> clarity on that. What is a little weird, though, mm-hmm. is that God is apparently an American woman, mm-hmm. you know, in her 60s or so. And, um, and what's odd is that the phrasing... And the language is extremely British. Yes. Um, it is, It is, as a matter of fact, like, so very, very British. It's a little weird. Like, earlier, you know, we were doing our opening. I said, bugger this for a lark. And I'm like, it's weird to hear that from, you know, an American woman from New York. Like, uh-huh. bugger this for a lark. Although I will say that I do say bugger and bloody. I was married to a Brit for a while. I just pick some shit up. That happens, you know. 
Mm-hmm. But um, but it is kind of weird. It's an inter- okay. It's an interesting choice that yeah. we have this American voice, especially when we've got people like I don't know Dame Judi Dench. Oh. You know, we've got Maggie Smith. Can you imagine? <laughs> um, like, and it's not that I don't like Frances McDormand. I mean, I really do. I think she's mm-hmm. fantastic. But it it feels a little weird, and I'm interested in that choice like why do you think they chose to have it be an american voice rather than a british one despite the fact that the voice of the words themselves so incredibly british yeah i have no idea um i i was so delighted to hear her oh yeah uh, and mm-hmm. to have the voice of a woman yes that i didn't really question it that much um but now you've got me wondering like huh <laughs> okay that's interesting it's, it's a little weird and I'm not, I'm not sure oh, how I feel oh, about it yet. Oh, mm-hmm. maybe, what? maybe yes. the show is so magical that you yes. hear the voice of God in an accent that sounds like home and everyone is hearing their own God. <gasps> maybe. Wouldn't that be amazing? Maybe. Oh my goodness. Yeah. Like there was a book in like season, I don't know, what was it? Four of Agents of S.H.I.E.L.D. Four or five. Remember the book that everybody who read it, read it in their native language. So maybe, maybe in the UK, well, we'll have to see if there are any listeners out there in like Australia. If the the narrator is Australian where you are, then hey, that answers that question. But for right now, yeah, I don't know. It's a little, it's a little weird. Mm -hmm. I'm not saying I don't like it. Mm-hmm. I'm saying it's just it's a little strange and and there's something about it that is because of that unexpected and maybe that's part of it. Maybe because it is unexpected it kind of draws your attention in more. I mean had it been, you know, Dame Judi Dench or Maggie Smith or something like that that maybe we wouldn't have noticed it quite so much. It wouldn't have stood out quite so much. Yeah. I don't know. Maybe cuz I I don't think that I tuned in to the fact that it was different until she said I yeah. And I went back yeah. and listened again and I was like, oh, oh, that's different. And yeah. the other thing that stood out to me is when they're reading Earth's horoscope yes. as a Libra, which I still love. Um, and it says a friend is important to you. And I thought, mm-hmm. okay, well, if that's important enough to bring over from the book, right? then that means it really matters. And so I'm like, okay, but which friend? Because I tend to think of Crowley and Aziraphale together. Right. So but is here's it the thing. Adam- I don't know, but if if the world was created, if the world and the universe and everything was created at that time, then everything that existed at that time is also a Libra because that's also when they all came to existence. So that makes Aziraphale and Crowley both Libras as well. Hmm. So maybe they are the friends that yeah, are Yeah, but it would important. be like one friend. It said a friend. That's so, true. I don't I was know. like, well, maybe that's Adam, and maybe that's why his love of the world ends up mattering so much. Mm-hmm. But I don't know. Like, I think there's I something know. in there I'm missing or I'm not seeing all of. Yeah, so I don't know. I don't know. But the horoscope always was kind of uh, kind of interesting. I mean, I actually was wondering that. Like, you know, because mm-hmm. Aziraphale and Crowley, Crowley, you would think were um were both Libras as well because did they exist before the Earth existed? I don't know. Hmm. I mean, the universe. Yeah. They didn't exist before the universe existed because they're part of the universe. I don't know. I'm not entirely sure um <laughs> that I understand it, but uh, but one of the things that I thought was really funny is that here I am watching this opening. Right, we've got the Garden of Eden. You mm-hmm. know, we've got this whole discussion, and then we've got Eve and Adam, and they're you know running out. By the way, 
Thank you very much for making Adam and Eve the first people, people of color. Yes. Because, of course, the first people were people of color. Thank you for that. I appreciated that. <laughs> yes, <laughs> me know. too. I was so glad to see that. Um, so yeah. uh, so anyway, as they're leaving, as they're crawling through the wall and Aziraphale is sending them out into the world with the flaming sword, right? Mm-hmm. Um, I look at Eve and she is easily like four to five months pregnant Mm -hmm. but this is you know it's been like seven days since the beginning of the universe and as i'm sitting there doing this little you know like obstetric math or whatever um i realize of course what am i what does it matter we've got a flaming sword we've got an angel (laughs) and a demon we've got the world being created in a day We've got a garden. We've got magical apples. Like, why am I sitting there doing the math for like, well, if she conceived, like, it's only been seven days. That's a really fast pregnancy. Well, like, shut up, Lonnie. <laughs> Just shut well, up. I mean, yeah. to be fair, she's carrying twins. And, you know, <laughs> but OK, so I actually like I heard this theory Um, I think when I was a kid and I had like, OK, first of all, just let me say, no, I don't think this is true. I have no citation for this, but it always yeah. stuck with me as like an idea, right? Mm-hmm. Of that the the days didn't used to be days the way we know them as days, right? Right. So mm-hmm. a day to God might be a thousand years. And right. Adam and Eve were mm-hmm. designed, created, whatever, as immortal. Mm-hmm. Like death was not part of the original plan. Okay. Mm-hmm. Death only became possible when they, you know, sinned or whatever and left the garden. Yeah. Mm-hmm. And so part of that like punishment right was having to survive out in this harsh world yeah not being in the garden anymore mm-hmm. having pain in childbirth hello patriarchy like all oh, right exactly and, and part of that became this very monotonous cycle of day mm-hmm. and night mm-hmm. and having to sleep and then like go to work on monday morning mm-hmm. like that, that <laughs> But that was not originally how yeah. life was supposed to be. Mm-hmm. So I, you know, they might have been in that garden for a good long while between yeah. Monday and Friday. I yeah. don't know <laughs> between Monday and Friday, right? But again, I mean, I think I think the bottom line of this whole thing should be just shut up, Lonnie. Just shut up. <laughs> Nobody I cares. I would never say shut up, Lonnie. I I would, and I do quite often. My internal dialogue. It's a little bit abusive, I have to say. Um, But anyway, okay, so moving on. Here we have Aziraphale and Crowley. Crowley, right? I'm Uh, never going to say it right. I know. You know what? Whatever. Again, like, if if how we pronounce it is really that important to you, you might be listening to the wrong podcast. Um, But Aziraphale and Crowley are, you know, watching over the wall of the garden, right? You know, having this the first philosophical discussion. Mm-hmm. Um, you know, I don't see if, if, if God didn't want them to, you know, have the knowledge, then that, why put it on a tree in the middle of the garden and says, don't touch. Why not put it on a top of a mountain or on the moon or something. Right. <laughs> um, if it's really that, like, you know, he's actually questioning. And that's what I love about Crowley is that he is mm-hmm. always thinking critically. He's always questioning these things, you know? And, but what I also kind of love about Aziraphale is the way that he never questions anything that like he is he is such a creature of complete and total faith you know mm-hmm. and there's something about the two of them together that i just absolutely love all the way into this first rainstorm right that moment when aziraphale puts his wing over crowley to shield mm-hmm. him from the rain it is the sweetest thing and i just love this relationship so much. I do too. Like I shipped them in the book, but I am now captain of this ship. 
Oh, and, completely. And, and like, I love Crowley. Crowley. Uh-huh. Like, I always have. I knew David Tennant was going to steal the show for me, yeah. and he did. But mm-hmm. I have to say, this version of Aziraphale is sweeter and oh. so much even more optimistic and and not as passive. Yes. Um, and and like he he genuinely has this oh but we'll we'll find a way or oh this is going to be okay um, and the look on his face mm-hmm. when Crowley said you know no you can't have done anything bad by giving them that sword you're an angel you can't do bad that relief yes. and that the smile, comfort the thank oh, you yes I know yes. it is so incredibly sweet and I absolutely love it I love um, it. We've also got this whole thing with the weather, right? We noticed mm-hmm. this in the book. How many of the little sections opened with it was a dark, some variation on it was a dark and stormy night or it wasn't a dark and stormy night or whatever, right? We're always talking about the weather. And in the book, I couldn't really find a thematic thread with the, the like what the weather like signifies, you mm-hmm. know? But here at the beginning, we have that moment where Aziraphale puts his wing over Crowley and um and like protects him from the weather. And so what I'm wondering is if the weather represents like stages of their relationship, you know? Oh God, you're so smart. Well, I don't know. Like, <laughs> I, I don't, wouldn't I, have thought of that in a million years. But I don't, I don't know if there's anything to it. I mean, we've got to watch the whole series through before we can really figure that out. But I want to keep an eye on the weather. We have some rain uh, like the night that the, the babies are, are born, you know, mm-hmm. so we have some storming then. Um, but like, I don't, because in the book, it didn't, I could not find a thread. I could not find a thematic yeah. thread. And maybe I just missed it. Maybe somebody out there has read the book and they're like, well, duh, it means this. You know, it's entirely possible. I've just missed it. But I couldn't find a real thematic thread with all of the references to weather. But I'm wondering if they're going to pull that in in the book, because they are making some adaptive choices that I think are, are pretty good here. Oh, yeah. Um, yeah. So I'm really well, interested to see where that goes. Well, and that night that the babies are born and it's mm-hmm. storming is what brings Crowley yeah. back to Aziraphale. Yeah. So mm-hmm. you might be onto something there. I don't know. I don't know. All I know is that I love them. I love mm-hmm. them together. Um, they're so much fun. Um, I love that whole discussion. You know, as they're having that talk and, you know, Crowley's going through his whole spiel. Well, you know, wouldn't it be funny if I did the good thing and you did the bad thing? And then Aziraphale's complete horror at the thought, you know, <laughs> so great. it is so incredibly sweet. And I love the way that they connect with each other. I love the way that instantly from the beginning, you know, you can see that Aziraphale in the beginning does not quite trust Crowley mm-hmm. but he still welcomes him yeah. you know I mean he doesn't really judge him you know he's like well you're a demon you know and he, he makes he acknowledges what he is you know mm-hmm. um, but it's it's just it's so interesting and every moment that they are on screen together is just delightful for me like you know throughout this whole thing like after Crowley delivers the Antichrist and then he you know immediately goes to Aziraphale and he's trying to talk him into thwarting the wiles of evil you know they get the, they get drunk they go out <laughs> so okay I have to say yeah. David Tennant as a drunk demon <laughs> might be my favorite Tennant ever and that is a high bar oh no seriously <laughs> I mean David Tennant is such I mean he's always delightful but mm-hmm. he is such a delight. I mean, and as I watch him, I think, 
I want to go back and watch everything that David Tennant has ever done. I want to watch Doctor Who. I'm already doing Jessica Jones uh, season yeah. one for Listen Up A-Holes. So I'm on that train right now, too. So I'm watching him there as like real true evil. And then I'm mm-hmm. seeing him here as like this affected representation of evil when in reality, eh, you know, how evil is he? But anyway, long story short, David Tennant is a goddamn gift. Oh, gift yeah. to the He's- universe. He is so fantastic. And when he's on his way to Aziraphale after, mm-hmm. you know, he was bragging to the demons about tying up all the cell phone lines and then he yes. gets this baby and he's got to drop it off or whatever. And all he wants to do is call Aziraphale. And he, so he's telling his cell phone, you know, like, call Aziraphale. Yeah, right. He gets this, sorry, all lines to London are currently busy. <laughs> he's like stuck by his own evil work. Yes. You know, and it was so great. And and I love, like, their conversation about, well, what's actually going to happen? Right. Um, mm-hmm. Because Aziraphale is so sincere, you know? Mm-hmm. He's like, well, of course heaven will triumph, and, and it's all going to be quite lovely. I <laughs> know. Like, oh, sweet I baby. Know. And it's so fun because they are so opposite in that Crowley is a critical thinker, mm-hmm. and Aziraphale is a man of faith. Right. Yeah. And the thing is, is that we so often go into this kind of, um, you know, dichotomous way. I don't even know that's a word, but dichotomous way of thinking. Right. That it's one or the other. Mm -hmm. Right. That one is good and one is bad. That that it's either, you know, good to be a critical thinker and bad to be a, a person of blind faith or it is good to be a person of faith and bad to be a critical thinker, you know. And I think that, like, there are good and bad in each of them, you know, and that both of these guys kind of represent the ultimate good of what it is that they essentially are. Like, Crowley shows us the positive points of being a critical thinker, of looking at things critically, of asking these difficult questions, you know. Mm -hmm. But then when you see Aziraphale, and his heart is so pure... And he has such incredible faith that the ineffable plan, whatever it is, is going to be okay, yeah. you know, and he's so like, he's so pure in that faith. That is also a thing of beauty. And so, I mean, I think that I myself tend to be on the side of the critical thinker. Mm-hmm. I am not what I would call like a person of strong faith in anything be it whether the bus is going to be on time or whether the, <laughs> whether people are going to do what they say they're going to do or, you know, whether there is a God or whatever. Like, I am just not, you know, whether people are essentially good. I don't know. Um, like, I think I probably land more like myself personally on the Crowley side of things. Mm-hmm. But there is something about Aziraphale that is so lovely and sweet and delightful and i just want to wrap him in bubble wrap and protect him from this terrible terrible world i know and and he's so he's so good right in the world like i love this character so much more and i loved him in the book but like yeah this feels like oh michael sheen michael michael sheen's Sheen's, uh, like the way he brings this character to life it's amazing and the chemistry between Mm -hmm. the two of them (gasps) When, oh my God. you know, when Michael Shane says, heaven couldn't actually object if I were thwarting you. And I was like, so that's what the kids are calling it that's nowadays. That's what the kids are calling it these days. <laughs> these two have incredible chemistry. I love them together. I ship it so bad. Oh, oh my God. And, but still, like, there were just moments. It was almost hard to pay attention to yeah. everything else because David Tennant kept stealing the show. Yeah. And when he showed up, is that Nanny? Oh, in my that dress God. with it those was sunglasses, so like, adorable. And then he sings this lullaby, 
You uh-huh. know, he's like, sleep, my sweet darling boy, when uh, oh. you will rule when Earth's destroyed. And like, when first Earth's of all, dist- I keep singing the damn song. Like, it's <gasps> it in is my head. so lovely. It's it is so, so lovely. And this funny. is one of the things, too, that I really love about Tennant's performance is that it is very non-binary. Oh, like yeah. there are there are like all of it. OK, first of all, non-binary, but sexy as fuck. Like there is nothing that he does that is oh, hot. Like the way God. that he moves, his physicality, his facial expressions. But it's also a very sexy, like non-binary way mm. of, of being. Mm. And the thing is, like, you know, there there's like a word, you know, and- androgynous, which is like this idea that you can't tell, you know, what yeah. somebody is or whatever, which is whatever. I mean, it's not a word that I particularly care for, but this. Uh, non-binary I almost want it like a a, a a duality to him that his 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 expression of his existence is so powerful that it blasts through gender norms like he is all things at once it is you so know sexy and there was yes. this one moment actually there was more than one moment but mm-hmm. there was this one moment where he just strides into a room and just the way he was walking yes. I was like okay that, that is, is David sex on a plate channeling david bowie yeah channeling the sexiest angel i've ever seen in my life channeling a demon yes like, oh my god yes <laughs> and so he does great. it so beautifully and the thing is is that he is both masculine and feminine mm-hmm. without sacrificing being either masculine or feminine and i love that existence i love the way that he presents himself and i mean i'm using you know male pronouns because he's you know david Tennant is is male and i think crowley is supposed to be you know yeah he's coded male coded as male Mm -hmm. um but there is such a lovely um kind of broad spectrum of of gender that he encompasses and embraces in beautiful sexy ways all the way through i love that performance i love that kind of opening up that gender space mm-hmm. um and making all of it sexy and none of it you know none of it mocking none of it you know like it's it's so wonderful to see that and i've just really enjoyed that part of his performance which is not necessarily like in the writing i mean i think that's something that david tennant specifically is bringing to this role and i love it i'm here oh, for god it. yeah me too and I love that, like, we're getting more of each of their personality. We're getting more mm-hmm. of the relationship dynamic. And then, because we now have more from heaven, and we've got yeah. Gabriel, yeah. who, oh, my God, is so great. <gasps> oh, my God, John Ham. <laughs> oh, it's so good. But, like, in the book, it always felt to me like the stakes were bigger for Crowley. And uh-huh. he's got the yes. other demons. And Aziraphale was kind of, like, a little more passive and a little yeah. more just head in the sand. Yeah. But now, you know, like the forces of heaven are there. They're showing up. They're interrupting Aziraphale's life. Mm-hmm. And and he's trying to convince them, hey, we don't, like, we could prevent this. Yeah. And and all the other angels are like, ha, 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 ha. Like, no, we, we want to win this. <laughs> yes, and it just, exactly. it really felt like it balanced out mm-hmm. the stakes for each of them and the conflict for each of them. And the scene of them going up and down those escalators to heaven yeah. and hell. Oh, mm-hmm. I, I can't even mm-hmm. tell you how much I loved it and, and how much it delighted me. And then all the sound of music jokes. Oh, God. Because <laughs> the sound so of music. Great. I mean, is it just me? I always thought that like, okay, 
There are certain things in the world that I hate. Like I hate poetry. Not all poetry. Some poetry is good, but most of it's bad. Um, I hate the Muppets, you know, um, and I hate the sound of music. And I always feel oh, I also hate It's a Wonderful Life. Like mm-hmm. the thing is, there, there are these things that I hate that like everybody universally like loves. Mm-hmm. And um, and I always end up, of course, everybody, you know, sends me emails and, and tweets at me and tells me that I'm a horrible person whose whose heart is a, a dark ashen piece of coal. And I don't argue with that. Um, <laughs> but like. I mean, it is, you know, kind of universally acknowledged that the sound of music is terrible, right? So my problem with the sound of music is, like, the patriarchal bullshit in the sound of music. I can't get past it. Oh, I don't even get that far. I hate the music. Oh, no. The music, music. the songs themselves are so terrible. I have been known on more than one occasion, with or without wine, to sing those (laughs) songs while dancing around my house. Okay. So, I mean, and, you know, when we first started this show and you were like, okay, 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 I'm going to play the jokes as the demon and you're going to play the jokes as the angel. And I was like, nobody's going to believe that, Lonnie. You yes. are clearly the angel and I am clearly oh, no. the demon. And now I'm like, so. I'm starting to wonder, you know, because I'm a little no. bit of an optimist and like, I like the Sound of Music soundtrack and like, it's starting <laughs> to scare me a little bit, damn it. <laughs> <laughs> Meanwhile, I have darkness in my soul. <laughs> I mean, I hate the Muppets. Surely that is just as much of a marker of the Antichrist as having 666 tattooed into the, be- the back of your neck. You know? Well, I mean, when you say that, see, I want to cover you with my wing and be like, oh, Aww. baby, tell me who hurt you. Like, it's so... <laughs> Because we're best, best friends. Because we're best, best friends. Oh, my God. Um, and I did like... Like, some of that friendship dynamic here, I can see growing in a way I didn't see Mm -hmm. um, in the book. And they made a couple of small changes that made a world of difference for me with these two characters. Mm -hmm. So when Crowley, uh, Crowley, I'm never going to say this right. Oh, Um, whatever. Say it however however you want to say it, Can I just pretend like it's Southern? Be like, we just say Crowley, (laughs) y'all. But when they're talking about, like... Okay, well, you know, we've tried to influence this child, but now this hellhound's coming, and what are we going to do uh-huh. if, if he names it? And it's Crowley who puts the idea up about killing mm-hmm. the Antichrist, not yeah. Aziraphale. Yeah. And, and he's, you know, and he's trying to position it in such a way that, because he knows he can't do it, not because he's morally ob- he objects to it, but because he's a demon and he's not allowed. Yeah. But mm-hmm. he's, he's like one life against the universe and like really trying to push Aziraphale into yeah. taking this action. Um, but Aziraphale won't give up hope even then. He's like, perhaps I could stop the dog. Right. And I think I fell head over heels in love with them both. Yeah. For who they are in this adaptation even more than the book. Yeah. Yeah. No, I thought it was great. And I mean, that moment, because Aziraphale, when Crowley first starts saying this, Aziraphale honestly has no idea, but there is a boy. He's like, did you eat some shrooms or something? Like, he's <laughs> like, what are you? Like, the idea of harming that child mm-hmm. is so far outside of Aziraphale's even like consideration he can't even imagine it yeah you know yeah um I've never killed you know he's like I've never killed anything before I don't think I could you know um and I I love that whole interaction you know I mean it's it's really it's so heartbreaking yeah and it's it's after we see him at um Warlock's birthday party Mm -hmm. you know and he's got the yeah, uh, he pulls the bird out of his sleeve and the bird had died. And he brings it back to life. 
Yeah. I'm like, oh, you sweet baby. He's very sweet. He's so sweet. And and I love, like, I wanted to stand up and cheer that they cut the gun from that birthday party thing. Yes. That made me so happy. Nobody nobody needs a gun near children. Nope. I mean it was so good. Yeah. And and then I love some of the I I guess just the dialogue or the personality, you know, additions to Mm -hmm. this. When Crowley calls Hell on his radio to check on the Hellhound. Yeah. And then he pretends to see it. And he's like, oh, what a lovely big helly Hellhound. (laughs) (laughs) Oh, my God. It's so incredibly sweet. Oh, God. I love, I love when he's talking to Aziraphale. Like, Mm -hmm. you know, or when he's trying to convince him, you know, to, to like join him in thwarting the Antichrist. And they go out and he he can't get Aziraphale to go. So he's like, oh, well, let's just go have lunch. Right. Right. (laughs) And they go out to lunch. He's like, let's go have some wine. And they Mm -hmm. have the wine and they get completely drunk. And while they're drunk, the music that is playing in the background is all discordant. Oh, it's so good. It was so great. And they have that whole, I mean, everything in... All of the scenes with, and, and once again, like, I mean, the rest of it is fine. You know, I enjoy it just fine. But just like the book, like for me, everything in this story is Crowley and Aziraphale. Everything is the, these two people together and how they connect and how that friendship works, you know? Mm-hmm. And Crowley is so clearly manipulating Aziraphale to yeah. get what he wants. Yeah, you know? but, but, but Aziraphale again, like, is, is not changeable. Like he's, he's yeah. Crowley's not denting his faith, and it's so yes. great. But I, I just want to chime in again for the chemistry between these two, because trust me when I tell you I am making a list, because Sugar, uh. I am making a list. Uh. <laughs> but at the end, when Adam names the dog and Crowley feels it, he yeah. says, something's changed. And Aziraphale says, oh, it's a new cologne. And Crowley yes. says, not that. I know what you smell like. And I was like, yeah, uh-huh. you do, baby. Uh-huh. Yeah, you do. Uh-huh. <laughs> yes. No, there is like this relationship. Oh, God. It's just. And again, I'm all about the love story, man. Mm. You know, you give me a good love story. You give me people who work well together. They have incredible chemistry. And they also have this comfort of having known each other for so long. Yeah. You know, yeah. that they just, they know each other. And it's just, it's so incredibly lovely. And honestly, like, uh, you know, every week we're going to, we're going to go through like, what is your favorite thing? And it's going to be no surprise. It's going to be Aziraphale and Crowley. <laughs> oh, like yeah. no surprise at all. Um, but the other thing too, like what we have, you know, we have Aziraphale and Crowley as the like personal representations of these two sides of this great cosmic war, you know, mm-hmm. but now we're seeing more like we're seeing characters from Crowley's side who we saw in the book, like Haster and Leaker yep. and, uh, and whoever the guy on the radio was, you know, the <laughs> demon Well, I think we got, we got uh, the Master of Files and Torment, which yes. I thought was a very interesting job combination. Files and Torment, I think, go well together. I, I, I think I could probably qualify for that and um, i understand that yeah. and i think we got belzebub and satan mm-hmm. yes yes and so oh my god like... satan speaking like freddie mercury on the radio when he cro- yeah. when he called crowley darling yeah I, I just I, i'm like <laughs> just melting into delight over the show uh, 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 
<laughs> no, it's really, really wonderful. But we've also got these people on. Now we've brought in, you know, Michael and Gabriel and, mm-hmm. you know, the people from Heaven's Side, mm-hmm. you know. Um, so we've got all that kind of personified, which is something that we didn't really have in the book as well. And the dueling escalators that go up and down That's in the same so office building. I mean, I love that because they're two sides of the same coin. Mm-hmm. You know, we have like the good side. Right. You know, where they're like, wars are to be won, not avoided, you know, as the almighty likes to say, climb every mountain. (laughs) And I'm like, no, I'm sorry. If you quote the sound of music, that means you're automatically. But at least I mean, we can agree, though. Climb every mountain is a terrible fucking song. At least that one. Right. Yeah. I don't like we can agree on much. Terrible. fucking song. I sing. um, I sing a few of my favorite things with lyrics Uh slightly changed, depending on how much I've had to drink. (laughs) And. And a couple of others, but I don't sing Climb Every Mountain. Yeah, because that's terrible. Mm-mm. All right, all right. As long as we can agree on that. Yeah, we can still be best, can... best friends. We can still be best, best friends. See, even though we're different, <laughs> we can still be best, best friends. Even though these two guys are completely different types of guys, doesn't mean that one is good and one is bad, even though technically, canonically, one is good and one is bad. But you know what I'm saying? <laughs> They're both good. They're both wonderful in their own ways. Um, So we have these two sides and we're beginning to get this sense of, you know, of this war, you know, about to be fought and that everybody's in it for the war, Mm -hmm. you know, because people want the fight. They want one side to win. Yeah. Yeah. Except Aziraphale. Yeah. He's like, let's prevent the war. And oh, God, I just love him so much. I know. And, And I love that we get more personality and more humanity mm-hmm. from all the other characters too. So yeah, like with the, the whole, you know, nuns at St. Beryl's and all the babies, um, like the women on their way there. We, first of all, we actually see the moms. Yes. Mm-hmm. And, and Mrs. Dowling, I was going to high five her. She, when she was like, I am breathing. God damn it. That exactly. <laughs> yes. <laughs> yes, you are. And the nuns, their magnetic chart. With the little oh. stick-on babies and that demon baby in the diaper. The yes. Ass- oh, my God. It's it was so, so cute. funny. It was so funny. Um, <laughs> and, and all the actors are so great. And there's so many yeah. Sherlock connections. And, and I love mm-hmm. that show so much. Uh, yeah. But I like the, the card game visuals with the baby mix-up. Yes. Like, that, that was, was really, really nice. Good. Mm-hmm. Yeah. And, and even, like, Thaddeus Dowling. Like, we know he's an asshat, but the actor just brings that to life. Oh, Nick you know? Offerman. Yeah. I love him so much. And when yes. he said, the father of a male boy son is all yours, Mr. President, right. I was like, oh, my God, you are such an ass, but you're such a great actor. <laughs> but he's so delightful. Like, I don't, I don't think that Nick Offerman can play a role where he's not just lovable. Yeah, there's just something about him that is lovable no matter what. Yeah, it was so good. And like the when the nun told Mrs. Dowling, like you must Mm -hmm. name the child. And each mom, even though they took suggestions, each mom actually named the babies. Yeah. And I was Mm -hmm. like, well, is that like Adam having to name dog? You know, interesting. And and when she says, hello, warlock, and that baby scrunches up his nose and cries like, oh, come on. Are you serious? (laughs) Like, it was so great. Yeah. Warlock has always been a stretch. Mm -hmm. Like, I mean, nothing about this, this book is at all, or this story is at all, like, you know, within reality. But like, a woman naming her child warlock, like, it's not like it's an, an unknown 
connotation. <laughs> yeah. Like what that means, you know? Yeah. But, um, but it is, you know, it's, I, I always love like identity stories, mm-hmm. you know, and, and, and what is like identity and then how important the naming of something is mm-hmm. that when you give something a name, when you call it what it is. And it's also really interesting too, in that we have a name shift. Yeah. With Crawley to Crowley, uh-huh. right? That he goes from snake to bird association. Uh-huh. Like, is that what that is? You know, um, and it's it's interesting because like we have a shift in his identity. Mm-hmm. And what does that mean? Because in the beginning, he's Crawley yeah. when he's the snake. Mm-hmm. Right. And then at some point before we meet him next, he becomes Crowley. Yeah. And so he renames himself he re-identifies himself Mm -hmm. and does his essential nature shift when he does that does he take control of his own nature because he names himself yeah and and we'll see more of that in future episodes Mm -hmm. too and it's really great i can't wait to talk about it it is going to be really fun to talk about. We yeah. can't talk about it yet because we're still in the first episode. Yeah. Um, so we have the nuns, uh-huh. right? Uh, which is really fun. We have Sister Mary Loquacious. And again, a woman of color. Thank you very much. Yep. <laughs> Let's diversify our cast a little bit. Not a lot, right? We haven't diversified it a lot, but we've got a little bit in there. And I think that that's nice. So Sister Mary Loquacious is absolutely delightful. Um, I love that actress. Um, and I love that moment, too, where she says, do you think he'll remember me when he grows up? And <laughs> Crowley says, pray that he doesn't, yeah. you know? Um, and I kind of love that, too. Yeah. Oh, yeah. Yeah. That was so fantastic. But there's also this moment at the beginning when um, when Mr. Young is outside and Crowley comes through and they're just talking and, you know, Crowley makes the presumption that this is the American diplomat. What room are you in? Three. And that's how the mix up happens. Um, but then at one point, the uh, Mr. Young says doctor, yeah. like presumes, of course, because he has a penis that he is the doctor you know, <laughs> delivering the baby. Um, and at that moment, I was like, Doctor Who. Oh, yes, I know. It's so good. It's so good. I wish if he had had some kind of response with the number 10 in it, like I literally would have oh, died. I would be podcasting from beyond the grave. <laughs> That's so adorable. It was so great. And then on, on the flip side of like all yeah. this other great characterization, and I don't mean mm-hmm. flip side is bad. I just mean in scary. They, yeah. they made Haster so much more scary and menacing than he is in the book and it really works because i was surprised when he killed the nun yeah Um, and Mm -hmm. like it and in comparison then to to crowley we've got two demons one is whom obviously evil and one who's not yeah Mm -hmm. and and i just i thought that that was really really well done yeah no i thought it was really nice and i mean the way that these demons are too like you know the one guy has like that lizard on his yeah. head you know yeah. and like the and then haster has the black eyes and the boils mm-hmm. on his face and all this stuff and then when we go down into hal you know we've got i think it's it's a beelzebub that has the um yeah, the, the flies. flies all around her yep um it's it's so terrible yeah you know, um, it's so terrible. And it's really like um, it's it's gross and it's visceral. Yeah. Um, and it's effective evil, yep. you know. Um, so, yeah, it's uh, it's they really, I think, do have a lot more menace to them. They, in the book, they just seem ridiculous and laughable. Yeah. You know, but in the in the show, they really do have a lot more menace to them. They do. And and like when they throw the poor soul in there with a the hellhound to see if it's yeah. hungry. I was like, oh, my God. And and then in comparison, you know, they all have these kind of 
animal things yeah. sort of on their bodies and part of them. And all Crowley has is the snake tattoo. Yeah. Like his is an, you know, it's ink. It's not this biological right. part of it's him. It's not a, like a separate Yeah, and I mean, and he's got his eyes. Yeah. You know, he's got he's those got reptilian his eyes. eyes. But again, it's not separate. I mean, it's very integrated. Yeah, yeah. Oh, you know? yeah. And yes, mm. a demon who is integrated with the humans. Oh, my God. I love there it. There you go. I love I know, it. It's so good. <laughs> well, okay. So now that we've talked a little bit about kind of like the design of the demons, I mean, let's go into the, the overall design aesthetic of this world that they've built yeah. because I think it's kind of beautiful. Okay. I have to say like the animated opening <laughs> is delightful and gorgeous and the cartoon Aziraphale and Crowley drawing, mm -hmm. like that style is amazing and I want... I want to find somebody eventually will sell this somewhere, but like in a Xerophel and Crowley painting, like oh, I want yeah. a drawing or like yes. a poster that I can put up on my wall and frame because it is so lovely. I love the aesthetic of that and that opening sequence. Opening sequences, again, I typically don't care for them, mm -hmm. you know, like they tend to bore me, but when they're beautifully designed, I don't care, like the Game of Thrones opening sequence, oh, I'll yeah. watch over and over yep. and over again. I'll watch the Black Sails opening sequence over and over and over again um, because there's something about the beauty in that, that level of artistic expression. And they do that again here and i love it oh it's so good i mean all the visuals are so good um mm -hmm. i was you know just dancing the happy dance over the bentley it's like yeah i've never been bentley. so happy to see a car in my life the like bentley. oh my god the bentley the bentley the bentley I know. And, and the visuals of the whole show are stunning but i kept getting completely distracted and sucked in by the music because yeah. this score this composition like oh my god so i had to go look all this up <laughs> uh, so the original score is composed by David Arnold, who also did mm -hmm. Independence Day and Stargate and Sherlock and a bunch of other uh -huh. things. This music fits this show more perfectly than I think I have ever seen any music fit any show ever. <laughs> it is so goddamn delightful yeah. and so perfect. Mm -hmm. um, and they had a, I've read an interview with Douglas McKinnon about the Queen soundtrack. Uh -huh. And he said, like, we're all super fans, and Queen gave us permission to use Bohemian Rhapsody and all the other songs in the score, and, like, just what a joy that was, mm -hmm. and that made me so happy. But the thing that could make me love this even more than I already love this, and, and I still can't quite process the joy that this brings me, is the fact that Neil Gaiman asked Tori Amos... <laughs> <laughs> to end the series with a cover of A Nightingale Sang in Berkeley Square, and uh, she did. Oh, that's going to be amazing. So, I mean, just the music in this, like, oh, my God. Yeah. It is so no, it is. It's freaking so fantastic. It's so yeah. good. And Dog. Dog is the dog. perfect little dog. Dog. I wanted the line about his, his ear popping yeah. inside out. <laughs> we, missed the, we missed the little ear flap, which is honestly, I think, maybe one of my favorite parts like anything non the my favorite non Aziraphale Crowley yeah. part of the book was that the only the thing I wanted that I didn't get was Crowley and Aziraphale they were riding in a bus together and I wanted them on top of the bus oh yeah but that was mm -hmm. the only thing I wanted and then mm -hmm. I got a hundred things I didn't know I wanted that yes because that was so it was so great we're so so lovely all right so out of this whole thing what is your favorite adaptive choice um so the i think the richer dynamic and characterization of heaven 
with Gabrielle mm-hmm. and company and those escalators to heaven and hell. Yes. Because, like I said, it it levels the playing field with Crowley uh-huh. and Aziraphale and makes the love story between them even stronger yeah. and better. Mm-hmm. So that's my favorite adaptation choice. What about you? Yeah. I think, and me too. I mean, I think that having the personification of the pressures coming from the heavenly side mm-hmm. um, is really, really nice. Plus, John Hamm yeah. is delightful as Gabriel. I love him. I love his eyes are purple yeah. for reasons of I don't know why. I don't care. I'm here for it. I love it. Yeah. <laughs> he's just so great. And I he's so great in this very kind of handsome, empty way. Mm-hmm. And it just is delightful. And I really, really love it. All right. So overall, whole first episode, <laughs> what's your favorite part? I, it's just everything David Tennant. Like, I love the yeah. whole thing. But yeah. but he shines in a way that I don't even know how to explain. And he was yeah. just so perfect and fabulous and wonderful. Mm-hmm. And I just want to watch him walk into a room all day long. Yes, I know. I just want a long shot of him walking down hallways. Yeah. Like, that's all that's I want. All I want. <laughs> <laughs> He's so good. What about you? What was your favorite part? Oh, God, I mean, it's it's really, really hard to choose. Mm-hmm. It is really hard to choose because I'm like, oh, when Aziraphale puts his wing over Crowley's head. But oh, no, when Crowley is begging Aziraphale not to use his magic. <laughs> <laughs> like, that moment where he's just like, I am begging you. This is humiliating. <laughs> Don't do this. You know, um, you know when Aziraphale says he's never killed anything, he doesn't think he could. And also, like, whenever Aziraphale and Crowley are on screen together, like I just honestly it's so hard for me so hard for me to pick but I just I loved I loved all of it but I think I think it is the wing I think it's the wing over Crowley in the yeah. beginning well that That's was your, your favorite moment. thing even from the trailer and you saw yeah. it in the first trailer and I didn't even notice it yeah no it's like the it's such a wonderful thing I love it we want to hear about your favorite part to join in the discussion on Twitter, you can follow Lonnie at Lonnie Danrich and me at Dr. Kelly Jones and use the hashtag Chipper End Times. Welcome to the End Times and everything Chipperish Media produces is made free and ad free by the generous patrons who support us to the tune of a dollar a month or more and make it possible for us to lurk at the edge of the graveyard. Visit patreon.com slash chipperish to find out more. You can also show your support for Welcome to the End Times by going to Apple Podcasts and giving us a review or telling your friends about the show and Chipperish Media or tell them you invented the Spanish Inquisition and started the Second World War. We will be back next time with The Book, the second episode of Season 1. Until then, would I lie to you? Of course you would. You're a demon. That's what you do. Best, best friend. <laughs>